I don't care. I would rather call it kicking than agree to call it for Tom again with the Pete. Doesn't that sound very Alaska, though? It sounds like the most Alaska thing I can think of. Yeah, yeah. I saw, I was, I should have bought it gross. Saw these knives with Sarah Palin's picture on them for $5. Five bucks and you didn't get a pair? Did your wife, here's the real question. Did your wife get any moose dropping jewelry? No, she did not. Oh, well. Yeah. Did you really go to Alaska then? I know. We got fireweed jelly. Fireweed jelly. Yeah. I didn't, I don't remember that. Fireweed was a big deal there, at least in the in the Smash Mouth gorgeous places we were at. Fireweed. So is it, I need to know, is Smash Mouth like an old, is that an old yeah. term or is that something you're trying to invent right now? No. Is that something you're hearing, <laughs> is that something you're hearing your, your kids say these days? No. Oh, that's Smash Mouth gorgeous. No, no, no. It's Dead, that's Smash Mouth gorgeous. Totally from, likely from the 80s, possibly from the 90s, but I think it's I think it's an 80s. Because when I hear Smash Mouth, I think. You think of the band. The all yeah, the, yeah you know they had one good hey now, one good song yeah and it was only good because it was in the Shrek soundtrack you know yeah although it was a pretty good song yeah. oh what was that Walking on the Sun that was a good song I don't remember that one maybe oh. if I heard it see the thing was is whenever that whenever Smash Mouth was popular was when I was like in the midst of my only Christian phase oh got it got it got it like if it wasn't Christian I wasn't gonna give yeah. it the time of day. Yeah. Only only non books. I could read non Christian books for some reason, but if there was non Christian music or you know Yeah. Actually it was just non Christian music. <laughs> I, I watched non Christian <laughs> movies. But if it was non Christian music, I was like, Ah oh, no, I can't listen to this like plug my ears if I if it happens to come on around me. It was a weird phase. <laughs> I was like ten. It was that really annoying like ten know it all phase. <laughs> I literally awesome. once was sitting in my best friend's van. We're driving, and his dad's flipping through the stations. You know, we're riding with his whole family, and everything's on commercials. So he lands on one of the local pop stations, and I stuck my fingers in my ears and started talking out loud because I was like, I can't listen to this. It's going to corrupt my brain. <laughs> and I felt so self righteous about it. So self righteous. That's about hilarious. It. So there you go. That's really funny. Yeah. Smash Mouth. Yeah, it just shows how much better everybody is in this building <laughs> than I am. I felt, poor Kyle, you know, when he sits by me. Yeah. He told me that he saw Logan. Logan? Yeah. Yeah. I talked to him about this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I felt so terrible because, you know, I, I talk up Logan, right? Right. But he said, man, the blood and the swearing. And I felt I felt convicted that really... You're so as a plugged jaded. In, I, I really do feel jaded. You're like, wow, this is basically a Jesus movie. <laughs> and it is. He dies. Is. He dies in the end. He dies in the end. It's like Jesus does in the Gospels. <laughs> a totally a Christian parable. Totally. Yeah. Uh, if you guys want to go listen to that episode, that's episode two of the Fanboy and Know It All podcast where we talk about Logan. <laughs> I'll probably edit all this out. <laughs> are we Are we actually doing a podcast I mean, we're right recording, now? Yeah. Oh I mean, my this goodness! Is, this is what we call the preamble. Well, I really, I, I think that your your story about the uh, the music is priceless. It really is great. <laughs> that's so fantastic. Uh, okay, go punch that kid in the face. <laughs> Here's yeah. Here's a moral quandary. Well, you know what? He's probably a priest now. 
Just because of your in an alternate universe, yeah, yeah. Well, but this is a good question. All right, violence against children is wrong, right? Yeah. Don't punch children in the face. No, right? no punching children on the face. But I've always regretted. If that. we could time travel, could we punch a child version of ourselves in the face? Ooh. Is that is that ethical? Is that morally acceptable? That's self harm. It's self harm, yeah. but also he might deserve it. Well, we certainly do deserve it, but I think I think if you just went into the past, there are a lot of things I would do in the past besides <laughs> go back to my my past self and punch me in the face. Although I would definitely deserve it for many, many, many things. It's sort of like what what, what movie was it? Was it the Time Traveler's Wife with Eric Bana and Rachel McAdams, where at some point. You know, like he keeps kind of appearing and disappearing in her yeah. life, right? Yeah. Am I th- I, I Did you see no this idea. one? No, I didn't. And and I think what happened. See, I didn't see I this one either. I read the plugged in review. <laughs> and in the negative elements and in the negative elements of the plugged in review, it talks about how like, okay, this whole concept of, you know, he'll he'll be in her life at this age at one point and then this age another point, and sometimes like another a younger version of himself pops up later on in life. So anyways, However, this plot works. I need to. I get, apparently, I just need to watch it and get the facts for myself. <laughs> right. But according to the plugged-in review, there's a point in the movie where Rachel McAdams' character sleeps with a younger version of her husband because of the whole time traveling thing. And it's listed on. And it's listed as like she's trying to like get back at the older version what? of her husband. And so it's sort of like she's cheating on her husband with her husband. And I was like, I don't. It was one of those wow. things where it's like, I just need to see this movie to figure you know, out the whole like what what is happening. Who was like, hey, yeah. we're gonna have Eric Bana, and he's gonna be married to Rachel McAdams, but then a twenty year old version of himself is gonna time travel, and then she's gonna cheat on her husband with her husband. And like, who wrote you get that? Into time travel, it just it just gets messy. It gets uh, so messy. So, what do you guys think? Is it ethical to? Punch your own travel and punch yourself in the face as a child. No, you know, I would never punch myself in the face because I need help with my looks anyway. And I think if an adult version of me punched a child version of me, I think it would create like dental problems. Maybe you could have been the next Owen Wilson. Maybe I could. With that crooked nose, you know? That would be all right, actually. Maybe that would have helped. I wanted a crooked nose. That would be all right. Your nose is too symmetrical, Paul. Yeah, really. That was really what you're. I need it to be moved over to the right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What's up, everybody? <laughs> what is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. This is the intro to the show. Don't be confused by all the preamble. Oh my goodness. We're going to have to cut that preamble way down. It feels like it was like about half the show. It was it was a legit 5 minutes. Yeah. Which if Paul had his brothers, that would be half the show. That would be half the show. He'd he'd just come in and he'd say, "This movie was good" and leave. 
That would be great. That that would be Paul's ideal podcast. That would be fantastic. Enough of this hour and a half of droning on. Oh, we don't on. do an hour and a half. We've, I, I don't know. We've <laughs> never done an hour and a half. <laughs> I think we've gotten close. I think we've gotten close once. I think we did like an hour 17 once. <laughs> what was that And it for? was an hour and 17 minutes of delight. <laughs> yeah. For you, maybe. I'm not sure about for our yeah. listeners. But Paul, or, or for Paul. Um <laughs> But this is this is so who we are. This is do. why we welcome people inside our crazy brains. So welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome to our rambling crazy brain. Paul, you recently had the chance to uh, guest on another podcast. No, I didn't. You didn't. No. What? It, what it, happened? It, Did were, he cancel on you? No, he didn't. Well, yeah, he he said, Caleb, I want Jake instead. Yeah, that's he what said. it was. No, he um, he, there were some technical difficulties, and we know about technical. We do know about technical difficulties. So, Shout out to gonna, Hollywood and Toto. <laughs> we're going to we're going to be doing a take two this oh. afternoon. Well, okay. So we'll see. Right. We're well. going to be talking about Infinity War. We're going to be talking about the tenth anniversary of the Dark Knight, which I don't know why we're not talking about it in this podcast. Oh, you know what, Paul. This podcast is it's a two part it's a two person thing. <laughs> you can suggest topics. You but I watched a whole movie for this particular podcast. We can talk about it on another podcast. Yeah. We could talk about it on this one. You could have brought it up in the most least important thing, but here you are whining at the top oh, of the I've show. Oh, I've got a great most least important <laughs> oh, thing good. today. Good. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, but what's the name of this podcast? Because, you know, the magic of podcasting is that by the time people hear me talking about you recording today, they're going to, this show is probably going to be available. So, where can they go listen to you talk about The Dark Knight and Infinity War? Do you know what the show's called? We're going to fill in this spot with something. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Williams is the host. He's a really nice guy. I think it's Caleb in the Box. And it's actually a, uh, a faith sports and entertainment podcast. He talks a lot about sports. He didn't even realize that I was a sports fan before right. we started, you know, communicating. Because you're kind of a mousy, nerdy guy. I'm kind of a mousy, nerdy guy. Um, but I do like me some sports. And I am looking forward to crushing you once again in fantasy football coming up. Yeah, it was a rough year for me last year, guys. It was a rough year for you. I felt And you I won the year far. before. I got second the year before. Oh, okay. Yeah, I dropped all the way from a second place finish to a last place finish. So, but there's nothing more boring than listening to people talk about <laughs> their own fantasy football. There's team. literally fantasy football podcasts. I don't know. I know. Is no, it, I, I is this the new it. show? Is this the new show? We're now fantasy, fantasy football? football. No, we're not. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about war, though. So we very are. similar. Good, good segue. Even though I didn't have a creative segue. And <laughs> you know, football, football is war to war. To saving Private Ryan is also war. Man, oh man! We uh, we're we've got a great backlist hall of shame because we scratched saving Private Ryan off of Paul's backlist, yeah. which was maybe the most shameful thing on my backlist hall of shame. Actually, that I had not seen it because I think it's I think To Kill a Mockingbird was your most shameful. You think so? Yeah, mm. I'm not sure because I think. That, but I'll be curious to hear why you think it's. Your most well, shameful. it's because when I walk, I've walked around and I've been saying, oh, "I need to watch Saving Private Ryan," or I say, "I've just watched Saving Private Ryan." They say, "You have never seen Saving Private Ryan." Everybody has said that. Yeah. Everybody, six-year-olds say that. You have not seen Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> I watched it with my daddy. <laughs> Man. I like the part where the tank. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> we can't get into spoilers this early. Uh, and, but then after that, inspired by Saving Private Ryan, we're gonna we brought we got our top three. We're gonna do a rank geeks of 
Favorite cinematic war heroes. Yeah, and we'll try to keep it short. Right, Jake? I am known for my ability to keep things succinct. I I am sure Bill Waterston is on your list. I am world-renowned for being succinct, Paul. (laughs) You are world-renowned. Yeah, you're renowned for something. And so after all this ado... We're, and of course, Paul, you know, already hinted that he's got a great, most least important thing coming up. So I'm mm. excited for that. Yes, but uh, we're gonna start. We're gonna start before we get to most with the least actual, important thing. With the actual before movie. we get to rank geeks, we're gonna do the backlist Hall of Shame. Welcome inside the backlist hall of shame. Does this episode seem like it's going off the rails even more than normal? It may or may not because I've been taking some cues from the potty break podcast. But that's you know what? That's some ado. We're here in the backlist hall of shame. Yes. We're here. It's dingy. It's dusty. Uh, it's also weirdly in being dingy and dusty. It's also very moldy. So there's it's dry and moist at the same time. Yeah. It's an odd sensation. Well, that's one of the things but, that makes it shameful. I think. yeah, I you think sh- that's how shame feels. It's both dusty and musty at the same time. Well, yeah, it's sort of like it's sort of like the dust is like how your throat feels. And then your the moistness is from the tears from the eyes, you know. Yeah. So it's got this as you weep blend. Yeah, exactly. Over your failures. Yeah, exactly. In life. But we're we're rectifying. There's it. a little bit a little bit less weeping because Paul has finally seen Saving Private Ryan. Yes, I have seen Saving Private Ryan. Paul. And that's all I'm saying. About that's it. all you're gonna say. And that's the show. That's a wrap. <laughs> Woo! We're out. We're, it's finally a short show. That's amazing. <laughs> Paul. All right. Of course, there's going to be Saving Private Ryan spoilers in this bad boy. Yeah. The movie's been out for over 20 years now. I think we can say definitively that Private Ryan was saved. He was the only thing that was saved. Yeah, although I tell you, I I watched this with my son, and we were wondering whether he would be saved, actually, because it took a while to get to saving, to to actual Private Ryan. To actually meet Private Ryan. So now. So you had your son not seen it? My son had not seen it. So we watched it together, and it was an interesting experience to do that. Um, When did you see it? I would have watched this when I was in high school, so I would have been around 17-ish, so I, it was about a decade, a little over a decade ago. Yeah, because this came out 20 years ago, like yeah. when you were born, yeah, right? No, not when I was born, but when I was just a, a little elementary school student. Yeah, it's actually... Around, I was about, you know, 9, 10 years old, I think, when it came out. 9, 10 years old? Yeah. yeah. See, this was actually the 20th anniversary of, of Saving Private Ryan, so it makes for a fairly good, you know, yeah. time to actually talk about it. But, yeah, and, and one of the things that... What I had heard about the movie beforehand was, number one, it was one of the best war movies ever. And number two, the first 20 minutes were unbelievably brutal. And I think that, that both of those proved to be pretty true. I mean, yeah. the, the, the first 20 minutes were horrific. Um, incredibly gruesome, incredibly gross. Uh, incredibly realistic. I think that that I've read that that veterans of this very campaign um, they had flashbacks because it, it felt so real and so visceral to them. 
Um, and it really did... I think one of the things that, that I really appreciated about this film is sort of encapsulated within those, those first 20 minutes when you first see the Tom Hanks character, Captain Miller, coming up to the, to, to the beach. And you see just sort of the bewilderment in him, the shock, the just him watching all these horrors around him. You know, it really does look like hell. And how could you not freeze up in, in a situation like that? And yet you know that these, these soldiers, um, especially these officers who were, who were tasked with, with giving orders to, to their folks, they have to somehow push through that and think about, you know, some strategic tactical strategy. You know, essentially, you, you have to figure out, okay, we got to get to the beach. We got to do this. We got to make sure that everybody's here. We got to, you know, all this kind of stuff has got to be going through your mind, even as this world of chaos and horror and blood and death and fire is raining down all around you. You somehow got to think through that. And I think that that was one of the most powerful moments of the film for me was just seeing how uh, Steven Spielberg, the director, brought that so viscerally to the screen where you see him both in the shock of the moment but then reeling himself in to go forward yeah no and the movie shot that way Mm -hmm. at the same time like i think you as the viewer feel the same sort of confusion and sort of you feel stunned mm-hmm. watching it as you and which is very fitting because that's how all these soldiers feel like right. they really as bad as they thought this might be it's worse mm. and i what i was struck by watching this the second time around the first time around it's it's sort of being completely bludgeoned by just how right. brutal it is and unrelenting it is yeah this time around i was also struck by in the midst of that how spielberg also sort of captured how stark and fleeting it is um i i remembered it being of course gory and i remembered there being limbs and stuff like that but also how quick people were gone yeah was something that uh we talked about with seven samurai Mm -hmm. how it it really didn't spend all this time making theatrical shows of people's death right it it just sort of it sort of dealt with the quick brutality of death all of a sudden this person's here and they're moving forward and all of a sudden they're down they've taken a bullet to the head and there's so much of that in this just um and so that that bewilderment that confusion and that such a it really captures the fleeting nature of how how quick the difference between moving on to the next part of the tactical moves you have to make yeah. and being left behind on the beach because you just took a bullet to the head right, right. is in war. And that's such a horrifying thing for our brains to try to comprehend. Yeah, no, and, and I think for me that was encapsulated in, and in some ways the whole movie was encapsulated in a very brief moment within that first 20 minutes where you have this soldier who gets hit in the helmet yep. with a bullet. And he's amazed. Everybody's talking about how how lucky he is. He takes off his helmet, and he immediately gets shot. You know, you just have this sense of um, how fleeting life is, as you say, Jake, and, and how random it is. And, and as it's an interesting thing to to walk through a movie like this and to and to really sort of grapple with the realities that this movie sort of presents to you as as a christian like i am you know because i we've talked a lot about how i'm i'm kind of a 
a story guy. I really like the idea of story. And I and stories to me have purpose. They have meaning. And all of our lives are a story. When you watch a movie like this and you see this random this random death and you see these lives being cut short, uh, it's it, it challenges that and it really it really forces you to grapple with it in, in sort of a different way. And we all know that 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 death can be random and it can feel incredibly unfair. Um, but when you see it presented so starkly as we see in this, um, it it's it's a powerful and challenging element of the movie. And and you see that actually within the within the plot of the movie, right? Right. Well, yeah, cuz we we're just stuck in the the first 15 20 minutes here. Right. And we have no clue who any of these characters are. We have no clue as to the plot of this movie. It, the movie just starts with an all-out assault on the senses. Mm. Like let's just Spielberg was like let's just club him over the head real quick. I mean, I guess we get a little bit of a glimpse of an old veteran going to a cemetery with his right. family. And right. So we get this sense of, all right, we're in a flashback, but otherwise there's no, again, no plot that we've discovered so right. far. Right. I think Spielberg wanted to hit us over the head with, here's here's what to expect in terms of, here's how much I'm going to care about you the rest of the film. I'm just going to hit you over the head with this Brutality, yeah, and then we come to the plot. Yeah, no, and it, it's fascinating, and I, I hate to go off tangent because yeah. this podcast is going to go for two hours. But it was it was really fascinating to me how how Spielberg did it because I think that that for so much of us, war and brutality can be sort of this nameless, faceless type of thing. I mean, when we look back at World War II, we probably all have relatives who had had fought, ancestors who had fought in World War II or whatnot, but. When we see the pictures, there's these faceless people that we never know, and that's sort of how we process a lot of these huge cataclysmic events is through these – we see the pictures, the black and white photos of these faceless people who were in that situation. And I think one of the, one of the beauties of what Spielberg did is he sort of drills down very gradually into a character. We see Hanks eventually, but it's it's – it takes a while to even get to know anything about him, um, especially within that first scene. We know he's important because he's Tom Hanks, but at the same time, there's this element where we see all these people around him, and then as it goes down to Hanks, we better understand, I think, that there's stories behind each one of these people, you know? And I think that that's a powerful thing to have done. Yeah, and that kind of gets into the crux of what the plot of the movie, I think, really Spielberg wanted to use to explore. Because they get through the huge body count, but they finally get all the American troops that survived up mm-hmm. onto the beach. And and then all of a sudden we flash back home mm-hmm. to the to the peace of the states in an office, military office building, and they discover that these three Ryan boys have all right. died. Right. Diff- one on the beach, another one three different fronts, in somewhere. Yeah, yeah, three different fronts. The Ryan brothers have died, but there's one more left. And all right, we got to help Mama Ryan out and get her last boy. She's get- right. paid such a heavy price. We got to get her last boy home. Right. And exactly. And and so it goes from it, it becomes sort of this rescue mission where uh, Hanks and a hand picked. Uh, group from his troop, whatever whatever that would be, his company, um, they are tasked with rescuing the last Ryan boy, Private Ryan. Um, they don't know exactly where he is. They have some inkling 
And so it really becomes a very strange, very bloody war movie and this quest to find this this one soldier out of, I think they even say in the movie, a needle in a stack of needles. Right. And uh, they're looking through him through this war-torn uh, countryside, meeting live soldiers and dead soldiers and, and trying to find this one individual thing. And the, the, the theme that comes back again and again is, and you hear it from Hanks's crew, um, what is a human life worth? Why are we going out? Why are we risking our own lives to save this one life? Why yeah. is his life more precious than mine? Why is his life more precious than yours? And as people die during the movie, it, it, it hits home again and again and again. Just both, I think, it, it brings to mind both the senselessness and the beauty of saving, of trying to save this one life in the midst of this incredible carnage that we see in yeah. the aftermath of D-Day. Yeah, because we even hear Captain John Miller, Hanks's character, talk about, as he's struggling with this mission, the fact that I have always justified what I've done and the decisions I've made in war right. by rationalizing that this decision, although it cost three lives, helped save 30. Right. And this decision, although it cost 10 lives, helped save 100. And so even though they were painful decisions, I, the numbers game plays out. Right. More people are alive because of what It's how he would I've justify done. it. Whether it, was, whether it was even true or not, that's how he justified right. what he did. Which is very much sort of the algebra we use when we have to think through such right. big war numbers. Right. When you think about a theater as huge as World War II was, it's sort of like, this was awful, but how many more lives would have been lost? Right. That was ultimately, I mean, kind of speaking to the math that the Hiroshima. president was doing when he decided to drop a bomb yep. on Japan, two bombs on Japan. Absolutely. I hear that again and again. How many more lives would have been... The carnage was terrible, but millions of lives were saved because of it is sometimes the, the numbers that I hear. And, and the, those are sort of the justifications. It, it's a fascinating argument. But, but there So there's... I think the interesting thing watching Save it Private, Saving Private Ryan this time around was... I guess more fully understanding that the movie was wrestling with that by actually by its whole plot to right. send eight guys to do the exact opposite to send yeah. eight guys to save one guy yeah it was doing the math in reverse yeah to say for whatever reason and we're gonna kind of let you wrestle with whether you think we're, this is right or not we're gonna do this we're gonna send eight people for one guy who's of no strategic importance. And has literally no value to our war effort, you know, other than he's a body to hopefully take out two of their bodies. Right. And so what do you think about that? Is there any value to that? Yeah. No, it's it's a fascinating question. And I think that the movie, to the movie's credit, the movie is really great in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think one of the one of the things that it does really effectively is it doesn't answer that question for you. Yep. You know, when we see Ryan at the end of the, the film, we know that he didn't cure cancer as, as, as Hanks's character, Captain Miller, wanted him to or hoped that he would to make this trip worthwhile. Um, he didn't do—you don't get the sense that he was particularly remarkable, and yet you see him with his family. You see him talking with his, 
his wife. You see his kids, his grandkids maybe, and you hear him asking his wife, was I a good man tearfully? Was I a good man? And was I worth it? Was I worth it? And that's and that's really the the core of of the movie. Was it worth it? Was this mission worth it? And it's a difficult question to answer. I, I think And I think it wants you to ask that. Exactly. Were you that's the absolutely. viewer worth it? I think that that's a really powerful thing that the movie is asking you to grapple with. You know, Captain Miller's last words, earn it, earn this. You know, there's a sense that even within the the carnage that we see within this movie, there's this sense that life is precious, that we have the ability to do great things with our life if we if we just if we just try if we if we don't take our lives for granted you know and i think that's a powerful message that this movie sort of sort of gives us um and it does challenge us i think that it's a it's a it's a deeply challenging film in a lot of ways but especially i think in that one yeah and i have to say for me as i was reflecting on it from a faith perspective i realized it the movie, not through its intent, but just through its statement about, to your point, where he says, he looks at him, you know, everybody but one has died. So it's been a pretty lousy trade. And it's the it's the guy who almost left is the irony, I think. And that's, right, that's another still beautiful alive, part yeah. of it. So, um, But he looks at him and he says, earn it. And I sort of realized that, or I've been realizing in my own faith journey, that I very much view... Jesus is sacrificed the same way, mm-hmm. which is not the case. You know, there, the whole point of Jesus' sacrifice was that we can't earn it, and so he trades his life for mine because I can't earn it. But there's this subtle twist that we have because of, Amer- I think, you know, this sort of American exceptionalism, like we're, so, you, you know, and this price, the heavy price that was paid. Mm-hmm for freedom at so many different points and all the different right. wars that we fought that we must earn this. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a good sense to responsibility to to the people around us in our communities and our families, you know, for the greater good. Right. But this idea of salvation, you know, we have to earn the you know, salvation, this subtle pressure. Mm-hmm. I realize I've very much adopted subconsciously into my own faith journey that I when I look at when I think back to Jesus on the cross instead of his last words being you know father into your hands I give my spirit I think of him looking at me and saying earn it mm-hmm. and that's such an interesting yeah. thing because that was not Spiel that wasn't Spielberg wasn't trying to make a, a parallel to right. the cross at all but I realize sort of I think the thing I wrestle with is we have a sort of a mindset in our culture of earning things yeah. that the gospel flies in the face of and that I wrestle with because the culture says earn it and my faith says surrender, you can't earn it. It's really a fascinating point, and it, 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 it sort of echoes a point that, that my son actually brought up. I, I had watched it with him, and, and um, my son has gone through some struggles. He, he, can, um, he struggles a lot with anxiety, and because of that, he sometimes rejects a lot of of um pressure 
and it was interesting when those lines were said he he reacted i think in in an interesting way that sort of halfway echoes exactly what you were saying he was saying man that's going to screw up his life forever that idea of earning it you know the idea that you have to achieve something um i think that a lot of other people and myself sort of included in that they they hear those lines and it does become sort of a challenge to live your life well to live your life fully and and um and it becomes sort of like this this push to do more um which I think can be healthy, but at the same time, what you say, Jake, is absolutely right. While, as a coach, would would want to push you to do more, to sure. to to achieve more, all that kind of stuff. When it comes right down to it, that desire to it, it is a very American thing where we feel like we need to earn our way, we need to achieve, we need to succeed. But life isn't valuable because we um, achieve or succeed life is valuable because it's sacred right life is beautiful because we're created by god and we're loved by god and the idea that um we can't earn our salvation i think that's a that's an important thing to remember when we talk about this you know i think and, and i again this is not to say that those words should be ignored right but i think what you say what you say is really valid well and and coming back to your point about the beauty of the stories that we see sort of brutally struck down time Mm -hmm. and time again where it's like wait i thought what about their story and what about their story and what about their story Uh, i think the weird thing about I think the weird thing about Hank's saying earn it at the end is it feels in stark contrast to what the movie's actually been all about mm-hmm. and where I actually think it ends up landing. It feels almost less like Spielberg was and, – and this is obviously – hey, Stephen, if you want to weigh in on this, that'd be great. I'd appreciate <laughs> to know what was purposeful. Yeah. But I guess what I was wrestling with was is this line Spielberg's point or is this line sort of – Hanks's character, you know, Captain Miller, was this sort of him still struggling with the whole point of why he did this? Yeah. Because the sort of, I think, the message of the movie and where it lands with we see Private Ryan as an old man with his family, I think it wants us, I think he's got his family, his grand, his kids, his grandkids with him. And that is sort of the merit. That's, there's a sense to that, that we value that as earning it, living mm-hmm. your life. Being a good citizen, that's earning it, even if you didn't cure cancer. And because then it fades from that to the American flag waving again. Like this is America, just families being families and passing on these values. And so was Hanks' character almost saying something counter to what the whole movie was saying of, you know what, sometimes life, the beauty of life is in its irrationality yeah in the sense that we will go out of our way to save people even when it doesn't make sense and is that sort of the beauty of the human experience yeah no and is that sort of the beauty of the sacrifice that these soldiers made yeah when they didn't understand yeah they still did it and yeah is that the beauty well and i think it's re- it's it's a really interesting point because it was a beautiful sacrifice you see this you can't help but be moved 
was it also senseless? I think there's an argument that yeah. you could make that it was senseless because, and and I think the movie embraces that paradox. I think that um, movies are. I've heard it said, and I think this is really true. Movies are so much better about asking questions than giving us answers. And this is a movie full of questions, and it's a movie full of paradox, where you, we get to know these characters, and you you see those characters going through heartlessly going through these dog tags of people who died who just fell in 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 a battle looking for private ryan just that one tag so that they can all go home and that last scene when you see um private ryan grappling with whether he's been a good person whether he earned it or not you do see the beauty of his life. You see the fullness of his life. And yet the very fact that he's talking <laughs> essentially <laughs> to Captain Miller's gravestone, it reminds you that this life, as beautiful as it is, came at the expense of this life that also could have been beautiful. You think about his wife. You mm-hmm. think about his teaching career. We get to know him just very, very briefly within this movie, and you sense not only what was gained, but was lost. And maybe that's sort of the nature of war, isn't it? I mean, I think that that that's the paradox of war. You see that war, any war, when you think about it, is, is really completely and utterly insane. You know, it, why we choose to settle our differences in this way is just crazy. It literally is crazy. Yeah. That doesn't negate the fact that we have war and that within that war you can have heroism and um, sense and um, drama and even a sense of beauty of the sacrifice of what these people are willing to do, that they're willing to lay down their lives for a cause that they believe in, uh, for the people back home that they treasure – you know, I think that there's there's such a paradox within the confines of war. And I think that's one of the reasons why war movies have been so popular in cinema as it is, because it allows the directors, it allows the actors to, to really grapple with some incredibly massive and, and ultimately unanswerable questions. Yeah. And I, I had to say, before I ask you what your rating is for this, what you would give it on a scale of 1 to 10, I was... You know, as much as this movie is a patriotic movie, I did. I was also struck by the fact, rewatching it, that it it did more than I remembered. Grapple with yeah. the the sin nature of the American soldiers. You right. know, in the face of this, you violence, see some terrible. You things. see them do some terrible things, and it's not just a total whitewash of the Allied troops to say, "Oh, they were completely unaffected and right. they were." glorious saints in every single action it, it dealt with some really really flawed and yeah. angry and upset and confused characters who did some awful things along the way yeah yeah and, and that was I, I just to riff on that a little bit i think that that was one of the things that i really appreciated about this movie you know i think that that i am moved by you know anti-war war movies i think that that platoon was a very very powerful movie um did you see the wall another powerful one anyways the wall by pink floyd no the wall is a, like <laughs> it had a john cena and an aaron i'm forgetting his last name yeah. but most of the movie is just an american soldier pinned behind a wall in i think iraq and talking on his radio with the sniper 
an Iraqi mm. sniper who has him pinned down. Wow. And a pretty interesting exploration. Yeah, and that was a pretty recent movie, wasn't it? Yeah, that it? was just like two or three years ago. Yeah, and then you have on the other side, you have sort of these 1940s, 50s, 60s movies that are that are a little more patriotic, a little more rah-rah. The wonderful thing about uh, Saving Private Ryan is that it sort of blends that and that it, it sort of combines those sensibilities into into one movie where it gives you, I think, both both that sense of heroism and the sense of senselessness. Yeah. And I think that that's a tribute to, to Spielberg's directing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, now that you've seen it 20 years later, almost to the day, because it released July 21st of 98. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I think uh, I am going to give this movie, I think I've been a little bit harsh in my ratings before, I think I would give this movie a nine, straight wow. up nine. Yeah. Um, it's not a movie that I would watch every year. It's not a movie that I might ever watch again. It's just a harsh movie to watch. But am I glad I watched it? Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, I have to say, I was the other thing I was struck by, and the rating, I would have given it a nine when I first saw it, for sure. Um, I think I I would drop that down um, to an eight upon rewatch. There are a few things, like I said, that I felt sort of mixed messages at the end of the movie, and Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, Maybe it didn't feel quite as purposeful, and it's leaving me. It felt which I loved. I like that that sense of. I like the sense of not having the questions answered, mm-hmm. but more than that, it seemed to me a little bit less of questions not being answered, and a little bit more of Spielberg perhaps not knowing uh, what he wanted to do with the film. It yeah. Felt a little felt a little ragged to me in that regard. So that's why I'll drop it a little bit. But even with that, with how much my own perspective on war and American exceptionalism and nationalism and the pros and cons that are behind all that that have happened in the 10 years since I've watched this movie, it was such a well-made movie. It like, really you was. you just can't get around that. It really was. It's almost three hours long, and I didn't notice. The movie ended, like, I actually literally started it late one night to say, I'm going to watch an hour tonight, and I'll do another, and I'll finish it the next night, or maybe sure. do three nights. I finished it. It's like two in the morning and I'm like, where did the time go? That was, it's gripping. And as long as it is, it's one of Spielberg's best. No, it really is. And I think it it proves that Spielberg is one of the best. You know, we, my son and I had a talk about, uh, a little talk about uh, Spielberg versus Kubrick, you know, Mm. Um, who is the better director? And I think it's a, it's a challenging question. Um, Spielberg, he has the ability to make a really he has a, the ability to make a really popular movie be good. He has the ability to make what could be just a really good movie great in some ways. And I think that that's, this, is, this is one of those movies. It's truly one of his great, great movies. Yeah. One thing I will say just to, just to finish off, I found in the 20 years since this movie was made, a lot of the people in it have become super famous. Right? <laughs> and I found that, like, a little bit distracting to see <laughs> to see Vin Diesel die, to see Paul Giamatti walking around. Yeah. You know, Brian these, Cranston. Brian Cranston. Weird little, you're like, oh, a cameo for Brian <laughs> Cranston. It wasn't a cameo when this was made. <laughs> no, it was, it was a little bit surreal to oh, see Oh, there's Nathan people. Fillion. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, they were just everywhere, it seemed like. And you think, oh, where was he from? Oh, he was in Lost. They, you know, it was just yeah. all these things. And, and so that did take you a little bit out of the movie, a little bit. But still a great movie. It wasn't purposeful. They just happened to become yeah. famous later. There you go. All right, there you have it. Uh, uh, Paul, congratulations. Welcome to the land of, you know. 
Having seen Saving Having Private seen Ryan. Having seen Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely a worthwhile trip. And and I think that, that... I know you were dreading it a bit. Well, three hours, the first 20 minutes. Oh, and I'm not a huge war movie guy. They're hard to watch, yeah. They are. They are. I, I, war movies resonate with me, oddly enough, but they're, they're hard for me to watch. And so... Um, I think it's going to be interesting to go through this next section of our of our podcast to talk a little bit about the heroes that we have seen in these these war movies. Yeah. Um, all right, so with that, you've got to pick for our next backlist. We're down to the final two movies, one each for us, oh my off goodness. of our current backlist. Now, of course, we have a much longer one. We haven't sniffed down the dark tunnels that we see just lying outside yeah, so of I, the reach of our torch. Yeah. But inside the reach of our torch, there's still two films, one each. Yeah, no, and I really don't have to pick for you because you just have one left. I just have one left. And that is? Goodwill Hunting. Dun dun dun. Another Robin Williams movie. We're, we're coming back to Robin Williams. And uh, so that's what we're going to be watching next time. You can get it maybe at the library. Uh, content caveat I haven't seen it, but I know there's a lot of language. A lot of language. A lot of people comment on the language in it. So it, it, it does have. A lot of language. That's actually because it's Boston, right? Yeah. Do you yeah. like apples? <laughs> yeah. It, Do you it, like apples? Mm. Here's some effing apples. I don't know. Is that how they talk? I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> You'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> it's like wow, I didn't know apples could be you know that violently crass. There you go. Yeah. Um, so there you go. We'll be watching Goodwill Hunting. Uh, but next, it's time for Rank Geeks. Here we are. We've 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 walked out of the backless hall of shame and into our nerd nerd chairs for rank geeks. Correct. Uh, we've we really have moved. So believe us, we're not we've just, we're not sitting in the same place that we were standing <laughs> just moments ago. It's amazing what I can what we can do in a short amount of time. It with really just a little is. musical interlude. A little musical interlude. Love but those for, musical interludes. For Rank Geeks, um, in honor of like still the most iconic moment to me in Saving Private Ryan, which we just talked about. For those of you that forgot on the long walk over here, is Captain John Miller at the end of the movie, wounded, leaning up against a motorbike, and pulls out his a, a tank bearing down on him and he just pulls out his pistol and just lit, drunkenly firing off shots at the tank. Well, he's dying. He's not really drunk, but... He's drunk with death. <laughs> he's drunk with the draughts of death. <laughs> with the draughts How's that for of poet, death. That's for really good. Poetry, Paul. That's good for yeah. this early in the morning. I'm he's very drunk impressed. on the draught of death. You can use that. You have to give me credit and all royalties, but you can use it. All right. Um, but anyways, so many we were thinking about Captain John Miller, and we wanted to say, all right, who are you know who are our favorite cinematic movie TV war heroes? Oh, I can see that you're already expanding this out. I know um, that you. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I have a reason. I have a reason. I did, and uh, I'll I'll explain that. All right. But Paul. All right. You so start, top three. Start us right? off, top three. This was a really tough thing because as I was going through, um, going through the possibilities, 
Um, there were a lot of folks they could have made my list. I thought about, you know, the Braveheart guy because Braveheart's one of my favorite movies. That's technically war. But I, I kept it too, and I really, really wanted to put Captain America on there. I had him in a, as an honorable mention. Yeah, Captain America. That would have counted. But, but I decided to go more realistic um, and a little bit more modern. And so my list begins with Dith Pran. From the Killing Fields. Ooh, I didn't see this one. Ooh, this is another one to add to your backlist hall of shame, I think, because the Killing Fields is incredibly, it is incredibly difficult to watch. Um, <laughs> so I should be ashamed for not having watched it. <laughs> but it's very good. It takes place essentially in uh, in uh, Cambodia during mm-hmm. the the uprising there, and it talks a little bit about journalists that, that are covering the the event. And Dithpran was an assistant to. A Washington Post reporter, I believe, who was covering the events of of the thing, the the reporter from from America has to leave. He is eventually swept away. They they try to negotiate a way for Dithpran to come with them. He cannot go, and so he spends the next several years dealing with the 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 Khmer Rouge of of Cambodia, trying to avoid death, and we see him. Do some pretty amazing things under some pretty horrific circumstances, and and so because of that, he lands on my list. There you go. I can't really add to it except that that does it, just dealing with Cambodia and Pol Pot and Year Zero. That's it's an inc- that's one of those that I would have trouble going to. Like yeah. you said, to they're tough movies to want to watch. Well, when we when we talk about just man's inhumanity to man, I think that that. When you look at that period of history, which is, I think, undercovered and un- under understood, yeah, um, you just don't hear very much about it. And I think that the part of it is because it's just so horrific and so unimaginable. Um, so to have a movie that that shines a little bit of a light on on some of the horrors that went on in that time, I think, does a service. But it's a very very difficult movie to watch. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, number three for me is uh, a little bit less difficult to watch, but it's old. Paul, you'll probably oh, appreciate this old. one. That I went Just old. Like um, and it's Sergeant York from 1941. Sergeant Alvin York is the central character of this film. And it, w- it might be one of the first war movies I ever watched. Um, and I think... It was one of those things where I don't know if my dad had even watched it or maybe he had, but it was formative and sort of challenging me as a young young man. I don't remember how old I was. I might have only been in junior high when I watched Sergeant York. But I grew up – my dad you know, is uh, a borderline pacifist. I don't know. He, he kind of fluctuates. Is he a pacifist, not an interventionist? Dad, what are you today? But uh, – <laughs> It was always my dad's conviction has always been that he didn't feel right about taking other people's lives. As a Christian, he felt that was not, you know, allowable for him, permissible for him. And so that's how he was raised. And, of course, that's the central plot of Sergeant York or at least the central conviction of Sergeant Alvin York. And it's based on a true story of this guy who – you know, tried to opt out of service based on religious grounds. Conscientious objector. Conscious, conscientious objector in World War One because he didn't feel right about taking other men's lives. 
and yet it, it doesn't work. He has to go to war, and, and he ultimately really is really good at it. <laughs> yeah. Like he's sort of like the reluctant precursor to um, oh gosh, what's the actor's name? You know the actor in Saving Private Ryan who's the sniper, and he's always yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Si- praying as yeah. he kills people. Barry Pepper, I think Barry Pepper, is. yeah. Uh, you know, Sergeant Alvin York, Gary Cooper plays him. He's the opposite of that. Yeah, he's really good at it, but he doesn't like that he's good at it. Yeah, yeah. Gary Cooper maybe at his best in this movie. Now this is also a movie on my backlist, all of shame. I've never seen, never seen it. But I have heard time and time again that it's a movie that's almost a must-see. Yeah. So it, it challenged me in that, is there ever a case for situational... Uh, is is my ethic of not killing people somewhat situational? Is there ever a situation where it would be okay in the case to save people's lives, to take up arms and kill another man to save another man. And I still wrestle with that. It didn't, but it, it, I would have to say it was the first time that I felt that was challenged. And, you know, I've, I've not seen Hacksaw Ridge. It's possible that uh, whoever the character in that is would make me feel more vindicated since he chooses still not to kill. But uh, that, there you go. Um, I thought, Gary Cooper did a great job. That was one of the first war movies I ever saw, and so Sergeant Alvin York. Fascinating. And what a, a morally great... complex hero. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I think especially for the time that it was made, there's a lot of complexity from what I understand in the character. Yeah. So it's fairly worth watching. And it's a fantastic segue to my number two. Number two. Desmond Dawes. Hacksaw Ridge. Desmond Dawes Hacksaw Ridge. See, I, that's his name, and I didn't even know because I haven't seen it. Yeah, no, it's uh, Hacksaw Ridge is a very, very powerful uh, Oscar-nominated movie that came out a couple of years ago by Mel Gibson, who is known for doing bloody movies, and this is definitely one of those bloody movies. Uh, but it features Desmond Doss, who is a conscientious objector. Unlike Sergeant York, he does not pick up a gun, except, you know, I think he carries... No, I don't, I don't even think he touches one in basic training. Yeah. He goes to war without a gun, and he winds up, you know, winning the Congressional Medal of Honor. He, it's based on a real person. Um, you f- see in this movie some of the most graphic war footage you will ever see, but at the heart of it is this kid who felt strongly that the cause was just but could never, ever pick up a weapon because he felt like killing someone was was against his beliefs. Yeah. And to persevere within that situation, to take such a, such a, such a gutsy and, and in many ways strange choice to go to war, to volunteer for war, but refuse to pick up a gun, it's a, it's a pretty remarkable story. Yeah, he sort of ends up being the opposite of Sergeant York right. in, a, in a way in that Sergeant York did everything he could largely to stay out of the war because he didn't want to kill people and then ends up killing right. a bunch of people really efficiently. And then Desmond Dawes tried to run, had, like tried, had to force his way right. into the war. Exactly. And then ends up saving a bunch of people by not killing anyone. Exactly. And and that's why I think had I seen Hacksaw Ridge, I bet Desmond Dawes would be on my own list, probably above Sergeant York, because I think that's a pretty powerful story. Like especially for us as Christians, where there is you know Jesus's call on us, you know, to save souls versus take lives is a pretty difficult thing to wrestle with when it comes to a war like this. Mm -hmm. And so what does it look like to participate in what you view as a just, you know, campaign without doing things that you personally feel are against your faith? Um, That's a, that's a really difficult thing. And the fact that 
from what I've heard, Mel Gibson actually had to tone down how heroic Desmond Dawes actually was. Because no one would believe because it. Because nobody would believe. You know, like he was he was like, ah, I think I maybe saved yeah. like fifty guys and everyone's like, No, he saved at least a hundred. Yeah. No and and Mel Gibson's like, All right, we'll go on the low end. And, and one of the interesting things, it's sort of a thread with with some of what we've we've talked about, even the killing fields is is in a way like this, but but saving private Ryan, Hacksaw Ridge these are stories where in the midst of incredible brutality, incredible killing, they're actually stories about people trying to save others. Yeah. And I think that's sort of a powerful message within these war movies. Um, I I was not raised in, in sort of that, that quasi-pacifist household. Yeah. My, my dad served in the military, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I think that there's still something really powerful in the midst of, in the midst of these really unimaginable, brutal experiences where you have people trying to save other people. That's, that's a really powerful thing for me. Yeah. That was always the interesting thing for me growing up with my dad having those convictions, but his own dad served in World War II, and my mom's father served in the Korean War. Like, my grandpa, my, both of my grandfathers served in this way. So it was always an interesting dichotomy growing up and led to a, a fascination with war movies in my teen years. So, uh, and even in my early 20s, which um, leads me to my number two, which is uh, actually, this is where I get into TV. But in a weird way, because each episode is basically a movie. And that's because it's 2001's Band of Brothers mm. from HBO. It's yep. a mini series. I was wondering if this it's, is going to come It's up. 10 episodes long. Yep. And um, and each episode is about an hour 20 to an hour and a half, even some, I think, up into an hour 40. So each episode is a movie-length experience. Um, but I watched this when I was in college, so I didn't watch it in 2001. Um, but I watched it on reruns. Like It was one of those things where somebody was doing a marathon of it on Memorial Day weekend. My wife had to work all weekend, and so I just binged Band of Brothers on <laughs> broadcast television. There you go. Um, but Damian Lewis plays Richard Winters uh, in Band of Brothers. And why I, I picked him, Band of Brothers is fascinating because it follows Richard Winters. but And it follows other characters, but they come in and out, and they leave, and they come back, and some die, and some you know get reassigned. And it really follows through World War II this this company that gets fractured and put back together and fractured and put back together. And Damien Lewis does such a fantastic job as sort of this everyman who like a captain, John Miller, isn't particularly remarkable except in his persistence. And even and band of brothers does such a good job, you know, following on the heels of saving private Ryan of dealing with the nuances of, you know, what is it when your enemy isn't necessarily as evil, like the, the, isn't as necessarily as evil as you thought they might be. And maybe they're just regular folk. And how do you wrestle with that as a soldier when you encounter that kind of reality, but still recognize the evil behind that and moving forward? And then what does it look like when the war winds down and how do we return to normal life? And so seeing this every man, I think that's sort of what makes that such a powerful series and why I put him on this list is what would it look like for an everyday Joe like myself to get thrust into this type of situation and have to come out the other side. And so sort of because he's very understated is why he's number two on my list. Richard Winters, Band of Brothers. Interesting. My number one uh, comes from, it comes from Bridge on the River Kwai. 
Um, his, I wrestled with this one a lot. Yeah, Captain Nicholson, and, and he's a really interesting character. He's he's played by Alec Guinness, and it's probably his, it may be Alec Guinness's best role. He's a very underrated actor. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi from the original movies, uh, but he did a lot of really great stuff before that, and this is probably his seminal role. Um, Bridge on the River Choir, if, if you haven't seen it, it is definitely well worth seeing. It's it's considered to be one of the all-time classic movies, not just war movies. But Colonel Nicholson in it is is this, uh, this very straight-laced British colonel who's been captured um, in Southeast Asia, in Burma, I believe, and uh, he's he and his soldiers are taken into this prison camp, and he has this battle of wills with the the overseer of this of this prison camp over how the prison camp is tasked with building a bridge that's very important to the war effort for the other side, and they want to use the prisoners to build this bridge. The colonel understands, you know kind of what's what the lay of the land is, but he understands that there are some rules of war and the the overseer of this uh, of this prison camp is breaking these rules. And so he goes to the mat to preserve these rules. You know, no officers can can participate in the labor, all this kind of stuff. And he becomes sort of this hero to his troops. But as he wins this this battle of wills with the the overseer, he finds himself being thrown into this situation where, just like any good, honorable British soldier would do, he takes a lot of pride in his work, and he wants this bridge being built for the enemy to be the very best bridge it can be. And so you have this very strange... Um, Voyage into into the building of this bridge and into this this Colonel Nicholson psyche as he as he pushes forth the bridge and becomes the impetus to make this the best darn bridge that he can build, even though it actually hampers the war effort and and because of the complexity, but because he because the character is so honorable throughout the movie, um, he really becomes the number one war hero for me you know he's a very different sort of war hero and there's a lot of people would say he's not a hero at all yeah. but i find the character fascinating i was gonna say he's a very con uh, the bridge or the river Kauai, which i have seen it's not on my backlist um is interesting in that it's been more widely accepted with age than it was at the time in that it was very controversial at the time the british didn't like it because of what you know yeah. the portrayal of this character and how he helps the Japanese troops. The Japanese didn't like it because it was sort of suggesting that they were incompetent engineers <laughs> and were breaking rules. And so nobody yeah. was really happy with it. Even yeah. Alec Guinness struggled with his own role as you know this yeah. as a, this very complex, yeah. not very heroic hero, and Colonel Nicholson, because he sort of has a sto- ends up kind of with this weird Stockholm syndrome and. And I think that's why it's aged well is because it's so complex and the modern audience really likes that complexity, whereas the audience of the time really would just like, hey, give us a straight hero we can cheer for. Where is John Wayne? Yeah. We need John Wayne. We need the Duke. The Duke wouldn't have done this. (laughs) The Duke would have blown this whole camp to hell and ride out on a horse. 
Heck, Jake. Heck. <laughs> well, no, literally to hell. I'm not, I'm not swearing. I'm just saying a, a physical place. So, anyways, that's I did wrestle with that pick, but you're right in that for me, I didn't find him particularly likable. Yeah. Even though it's a g- really good movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there you go. Uh, number one for me is much more likable. And, uh, this was one I was like, should I feel bad about putting this one on there? No, I don't feel bad about it. So for me, number one as my favorite cinematic war hero is Captain Malcolm Reynolds. Captain Malcolm Reynolds. Do you know what this is Reynolds. from, Paul? This is no. a real test of your nerd bona fides. You no, failed. You have to. Yeah. You failed. I'm still thinking Bridge on the River. He Quiet. was the captain of a Firefly class spaceship called the Serenity in the short-lived Joss Whedon series Firefly and then follow-up movie and this is why follow-up movie Serenity so there is a movie he counts and it's Captain Malcolm Reynolds so his backstory is that like where we pick him up in Firefly and Serenity is that he is he's a captain because of his efforts in the war in the resistance and he's been through a lot. He's been through. It's suggested he's gone through something of the level of a World War II, except it's a galactic universe, you know, sci-fi war. But it's such a grounded series. It's dirty. It's dusty. It's almost a western meets sci-fi. And Nathan Fillion, who we talked about being in Saving Private Ryan, brings such a good energy to this role because it's a character again i think what you see in my number one and number two is a character trying to figure out what to do with the war that they are a part of or that they've been a part of and captain malcolm reynolds is trying to find some humor in his life and some normalcy in his life by being a little bit sarcastic a little quippy and i just have to say captain malcolm reynolds is actually just my favorite cinematic war hero he was he was well renowned for his heroism in the wars at the time. It's just great. Oh, sorry. Excuse my my phone Jake. ringing. Yeah. You really need help with these genres. <laughs> you. <laughs> what? I'm, I, I, no, it's not a I, genre. We're talking about war heroes. I'm not saying it's my favorite war movie. He's my favorite war hero oh, in a cinematic goodness. movie. He's in a movie, Paul. He is a war hero. He checks the only two boxes I need to check. I want to revise mine to say Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi. <laughs> that you know what that wanna, would have worked. Oh that my. would have worked in your world. Yes, it does. In any universe. <laughs> in any universe. <laughs> so there you have it. Who's your favorite cinematic war hero? If you want to say Obi Wan Kenobi, go for it. <laughs> Goodness me. We're all just defining the rules as we go, Paul. <laughs> I notice you don't give yourself any flag for when you bend the rules. Uh, I've never bend the yes, rules. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. I You'll follow like, my own we'll be rules like, I'll be like, well. hey, Paul, we're talking about the best uh, actors in cinema. And he's like, cool. Well, when I define the best <laughs> actors in cinema, I like did best actresses of cinema. It's like, we're going to do that list. We're going to, we're, yeah, we're going to do that list, Paul. That is so totally unfair. <laughs> Uh, but they hit us up on the Twitter. Let us know how. Let Paul know how wrong he was because you did that with Calvin and Hobbes, and that was great. Oh, oh my goodness! You let Paul know that he should not have defamed the name, desecrated Bill the name Waterston of Bill is great. Waterston. Is he a novelist? He is he a great literature writer? We were no. not ranking. Oh, we were goodness. not. That see, that's where you're bending the rules, Paul. No, no, no. We no, weren't no, ranking no. the top novelists of all time. We were ranking the top. Writers of all time, and the dude writes. He does write words. Yes, you're right. You're so wrong. Again, I was vindicated. I was vindicated. 
His Paul, your collection doesn't equal Bill Watterson's yet. I'm sorry. Oh my! You're a fine writer, but it's not. You're no Bill Watterson. (laughs) (laughs) Put that. That's your new Twitter bio. A fine writer, but I'm not. No Bill Watterson. But I'm no Bill Watterson. Uh, And with With that, with that, it's time for the most least important thing. Oh my goodness. Here we are in the most least important thing. We've shifted locations yet again. (laughs) To our most least important thing room. (laughs) To our most least important thing. No, it's a Zephyr, obviously. It's a most least important thing Zephyr. Of course. Yeah. Paul, why why are you are you that blonde are you we need to get you glasses. Yeah. Well Did you not feel the change in elevation at least? All right. But it's it's what is a Zephyr? I think it's like a hot air balloon. No, that's a Zeppelin. <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> I was thinking, that's what I said. What? I didn't <laughs> say Zephyr. I said Zeppelin. It's a Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I can't be. I can't be held accountable for my words. I think maybe you can. <laughs> what are words? They're just things. What are words? They're just what letters coming words? out of my mouth in random orders. Like I can't be held accountable for that. Whatever. I don't know. What is this? What is this? We're writing a. Is Zephyr. this 2015? Is this a time where I can still be held accountable for words? <laughs> yeah, I'll just let that one just let that one sink in for a little bit. Uh, oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> All right, so for my most least important thing this week, you know, this is the way we love to wrap up every show, and this one, um, I'm going to take us back to Sandlot. Oh. Except I'm not taking this back to Sandlot. I'm bringing Sandlot into the future. Into our so Zephyr. did you hear the into our Zephyr? <laughs> oh, Zephyrlin. Zephyr, Zephyr, Zephyrlin. Um, now, did you see the story where a Sandlot, the headline, Sandlot star takes picture with a fan wearing a Sandlot shirt, which is such a dumb headline because well, yeah. it, it feels like a Babylon Bee or an Onion headline. Like, yeah, okay, the, the guy from Sandlot takes a picture with a that probably happens a With, lot. Uh, I you bet that happens a lot. But the funny thing about this was, was this particular Sandlot star is Patrick Renna. And uh, he plays the the guy that says the famous quote, you're killing me smalls, right? He's that kid from Sandlot. Yeah. Uh, Hamilton Ham Porter. So he's like one of the most iconic characters sure. in this movie. Sure. And he's got the most unique face of all these you know, kids, oh, yeah. you know, right? Yeah. When you hear, when anybody says you're killing me, Smalls, we all see that kid. Doesn't all matter when you, doesn't matter who quotes it. Yeah. You could hear more Morgan Freeman say, you're killing me, Smalls. Yeah. I can't do a Morgan Freeman. So you would picture this kid. Since I've never seen Sandlot, I picture you saying You've never seen but, Sandlot? But That's anyway. on your backlist, Hall of Shame. Uh, anyway. All right. Patrick Renna, <laughs> walking down the street, sees a kid, a teenager, wearing a shirt that has his picture on it. You're it says, killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. And it has a picture of him from Sandlot. And so he says to the guy, hey, nice shirt. And the guy's like, oh, hey, thanks. Doesn't resonate like yeah. uh, that this is the guy. I'm wearing this dude's face on my shirt. And so then the actor takes a step further. He's like, okay, he doesn't recognize me. Hey, can I get a picture with you? And the guy's like, okay, this is weird, <laughs> but sure. And takes a picture with him and still like just goes about his merry way. Has no clue. And the thing is here, Paul... 
And then, so then Patrick Renner tweets this and he's like, I took a picture with this guy. I told him nice shirt and he had no clue who I was. You haven't seen it, but here's a pi- here's the picture. <laughs> here's the kid. Here's him. Of all the child actors that have changed what they look like from childhood to adulthood, Patrick Renna is not. He that. looks exactly the same. He looks exactly the same. It doesn't even look like he shaves. How did this kid not recognize this? That's hilarious. This brings up the whole Superman thing. Like now, Superman is plausible all of a sudden. Yeah. Because if Patrick Renna can't be recognized, be- who looks exactly the same as his childhood self, just heavier, like. What? So yeah, yeah, Superman can take off Clark Kent can take off his glasses and nobody can recognize him. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good one. So there you go. But it does not equal mine. Super least important. This is the most most important thing, Jake. Because <laughs> see, you don't even know what this you don't even know what this show's about. The most most important thing. This is I get normally, out of here. Normally, I bring a least most important thing, but today I'm bringing the most most important thing because I know what you are going to be doing August 24th. August 24th. What am I going to be doing? You are going to be buying a ticket to 2001: A Space Odyssey oh. in. IMAX theaters oh. for the first time ever because it's going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary. Yikes. This all-time classic that for some reason Jake hates, which I really don't understand, is going to be coming into IMAX theaters for the very first time. 350 IMAX theaters across the country are going to be showing 2001 A Space Odyssey, and I know you're going to want to give this movie a second. That is 350 theaters too many. Paul, the only reason I would be doing that is if I was a masochist. <laughs> If like that sounds like literally the worst venue. No, there is no, no worst venue to watch that no, movie on that is in the, the history of venue. the universe. That's the only venue because this is because a you're huge paying screen. for an IMAX no. 3D screen. It's huge. It's big. I'm gonna pay and for visuals. Are I'm fantastic. gonna pay for six minutes of black screen. Oh my goodness! I am no, not no. gonna pay for six minutes you know of what? black screen. You know and what then, I think? I'm I not think gonna pay you're... for 15 minutes of ear piercing. Mind-numbing, brain-bleeding, shrieking You will music understand the later brilliance in the film. of it. You will understand I'm, the brilliance of it. I don't you want to see. You sit in the IMAX see. theaters, and you can absorb Stanley Kubrick's brilliance. You can see the gorgeous, the gorgeous visuals, the really groundbreaking visuals that made everything that no. came after it possible. Paul. And the weird story of this no. ape-smashing yeah. things with see, bones. we got to talk about this. Paul. When I sat down to watch, when you forced me to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, to scratch it off my backlist, I, I put my faith in your hands. I said, Paul says this is a movie I need to watch. It's a movie you need to watch. And I sat watch. down, and on my own home TV screen, I could not fathom why Paul, broken. why Paul was getting me to watch this movie with all these apes <laughs> stroking, <laughs> lovingly no, no, stroking no. the large let's black not, obelisk. Let's not make Do I need to see sexual. that in IMAX 3D? No, not. I'm not the one making it sexual. <laughs> Kubrick did. <laughs> He's the one that he's like. Oh, look at this big, no, they were large reference. They weren't trying to symbol, and we're gonna have these apes, <laughs> and they're gonna come up, and they're just gonna stroke it, stroke. Just keep stroking it. No, no, that's not long enough. We're gonna do about stop, a minute. Stop a minute of it. Stop, keep going. Keep stop. going. It's what happened. You can't you make have, this stuff no, up. You, you are making make, this no. stuff up. You are making it up. I, I am going to get on Twitter and reshare this gift because I did before. There's, It's there. Let your eyes see and behold the oh horror. Oh, my goodness. The horror of this. And Paul wants Will to it? see it in IMAX 3D. <laughs> like, buy me a ticket for that. I want to spend my 15 bucks on that. Yeah. <laughs> 
go buy your ticket. You won't be disappointed. It's really a great movie. It's an all-time classic. If you want to see how true my words are, uh, you can follow me on the Twitter at at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. You can see how wrong his words are on a consistent (laughs) basis. But that's it for this time. Be sure we're going to do come back next time where we argue Firefly. Oh, my goodness. And we talk about Goodwill Hunting. I'm sure fun will be had by all. (laughs) But that's it for this time. Uh, I'm Jake. I'm going to catch you on the flip side. I'm Paul. Bye.